Rail Up, the future mobility podcast with innovators and leaders of the ecosystem. Presented by Sebastian Sperker. Welcome to Rail Up and for this special episode number six. And I will tell you now six reasons why this episode is special. Number one, it's the first time that we have it as a podcast. You can listen to it, but you can also watch it, our show. Number two, we have a special keynote integrated in this podcast. Number three, we have a special location here in Canon High-End Studio in Vienna. Number four, we have a special topic, connectivity and the action title, Connect or Die. Number five, it's a very special time. And number six, we have a very special guest today. He's a futurist, he's a visionary, he's a consultant for disruptive change. I'm delighted to have him today with us, Dietmar Damen. Hello, everybody. I'm super excited to be here and I'm super excited to tell you why you should connect and avoid death. <laughs> so, Dietmar, our topic today are, has the action title Connect or Die. And I ask myself, is connectivity really that important and crucial for business and humanity? Oh, it is absolutely important. It is absolutely crucial. In fact, connectivity is what made us. We as humans are connected to the world and we as humans connect to each other. So let's look at where all this comes from. If we look at Homo sapiens and we go back into history and dig out our old skulls and find where we lived, we will find out that 100,000 years ago, all the skulls from us we find are in one tiny area somewhere in Africa. And this area was perfect. It had the perfect lake, the perfect sunset, the perfect animals, the perfect fruit. It was made for us, and that's why we flourished in this particular area. But after a while, despite the perfection of the area, we said at one point the most fundamental sentence of them all, the sentence that defines us as humans, the sentence that defines progress, and this sentence sentence is, hey, you know what? I'm bored. I'm bored of the perfection. I've seen that sunset a thousand times. I'm bored. Let's go somewhere new. I want to experience new things. And this somewhere new is the key sentence and the base of all innovation. Without the drive to go somewhere new, we wouldn't innovate. So let's look at what innovation actually is and what innovation means to us. If we look at innovation, we see two major drivers. Number one is need. We need to innovate. And the other one, just as I now explained, is boredom. We are bored with the existing. In both cases, it's the negation of the status quo. We don't like the status quo and we need to go somewhere new. That is what innovation means, leaving the old behind and going to places we've never been. Let's concentrate first on the aspect of need. Aspect of need means I have targeted research. For instance, I'm running out of food, in the case of Homo sapiens potentially, and you go and look for food somewhere else. And that is targeted research. Targeted research in today's time is, for instance, I don't have enough computation power and I need to come up with a chip that can do it faster. Those are targeted uh, research problems. And if you have targeted research, the answer obviously is that the problem is solved. 
I found food. Look, we can eat here. I found a new way to create a better chip. We can use this to digitalize, to optimize digitalization. So the problem solved is the final goal of a need-driven innovation. But then there's boredom. And boredom is totally different. Boredom is more or less no targeted research, just going somewhere. I'm bored with the existing and I'm completely open to what I might find. I might look for things that I didn't even expect. So the results is an unexpected surprise. You turn a corner and you see all of a sudden, oh my God, a lake that's even better, or an ocean. I didn't even know that an ocean existed. You find new things, and this is truly, truly exciting because you come up with things that are unexpected and that might bring you forward in a completely new way. So, the power of boredom is really, really good. And the power of boredom, boredom actually increases innovation, and I will show you why. There's actually a little test that some scientists did with school children. And they gave a class of school children a picture that looked a little bit like a clock but wasn't finished yet. And they told those students to finish the picture of the clock. And as you can imagine, 100%, the entire class came up with an idea that was exactly the same. They all did and showed a watch. Then they gave them 10 minutes. And look what happened now. Instead of a watch, the people came up with butterflies, with kites, with cats, with roses. It was way more creative and way more fun. So the power of boredom is fantastic. And this power of boredom is exactly what those people had. So they left the old area, but they couldn't leave Africa. They couldn't come out of Africa. They just uh, expanded the area a little bit. 30,000 years later, however, exactly the same thing happened. 30,000 years later, the people were bored and they said, I want to go somewhere new. I need to go somewhere new. But this time they left Africa. This time they first came to Asia and then later they came to Europe. This means that all the Homo sapiens skulls that we find that are 17,000 years and younger are all over the world, first in Asia, then in Europe. We can see this just by looking at the skulls. They couldn't leave Africa and now they could. The question is, why did we go to the new places and how come that we settled there? There were already other homos there, homo neanderthalus to be precise, not homo sapiens, but other people. How come that we actually could go to places that were already occupied by others? The answer is that we learned a certain trick. And you might ask yourself, what was that trick? And then you look again at our skull. And you remember homo sapiens means the smart one. So it was probably that we were just smarter. We had bigger brains. And if you look at our brains and you measure the cubic centimeters, the volume in our skull, you notice that the brain of homo sapiens is a whopping 1,450 cubic centimeters. And you go, yeah, boom, look at us. We have big brains. But then you compare it to a Neanderthal, and you notice that a Neanderthal has 1,600 cubic centimeters. That means that every single Neanderthal was smarter than us. 
So you say, okay, it wasn't brains, what was it then? And you look at me, maybe, and you say, I know what it was. We weren't necessarily smarter, but we were stronger. We had more muscle, look at us. But then again, you compare the skeleton of a Homo sapiens and of a Homo neanderthalus, and you notice that Homo neanderthalus was shorter, but much more heavily built and stronger. So that means it wasn't muscle. What was it then? And the answer is that we had bigger teams. They were 45. They could arrange groups of 45 individuals. And we, Homo sapiens, we could arrange 150. That was, means that we had 150 people acting as one. And why could we do that? Because we optimized connectivity. We developed things like language that enabled us to connect with other individuals much better and much more efficiently than Homo sapiens did. And that means that we have three times more power, three times more knowledge, and three times more BAM. Every one of us is slightly weaker and slightly dumber than a Neanderthal, but as a group, we outperformed them. We were better, and the success comes from collaboration. And the collaboration is the basis of everything, and that's why we work together. We are here at the studio of Canon, and it's a collaboration. We can actually take part in their knowledge because we work together, we collaborate, we play together, we are here together, we create companies together, we build empires together, and we are one super organism dominating the world currently leading the pinnacle of biology together. That's what we do, and the secret is connectivity. And connectivity didn't stop 70,000 years ago. Connectivity still exists. Look at history again. There you can see a very famous uh, Roman emperor, and his name is Appius Claudius Caesus, and he did something that connected the world even more. What was it? If you look at the name, you might come up with a solution. He's the person responsible for streets. And the first road that he built was called Via Appia, and it was done in 3012 before Christ. He built Via Appia, and what happened when all of a sudden you have a road leading somewhere, connecting two cities, connecting places? He noticed that if you have a horse on a road, that horse, is three times faster than if it just runs on grass and in all kinds of weather. I bet that if the street or were wet, but the grass next to the street was muddy, the horse was probably even faster than that. So three times faster in a regular standardized situation. Three times faster means that information travels three times faster, goods travel three times faster, everything travels three times faster. And it was such a successful thing, this more speed, the getting stuff faster and connecting better, that he said, let's not stop there. And he actually built an entire network of connectivity is to create more reach. And with more speed and more reach, the Roman Empire totally grew and had a major success. If you look even just at military conflict, if you are the party where the information travels three times faster from the battlefield to the generals or to the, uh, the capital of, of the country, it's much, much better because you are 
way, way better informed than if it were to travel slower. And also the goods can travel faster because you can bring stuff to the battlefield faster. So the speed and the connectivity and the reach was a key success to the Romans back then. And again, it didn't stop back then. If you look at the modern Roman Empire, Elon Musk, he, you know that he created something like Starlink. And why is Starlink so successful? Because again, it creates more reach. It's everywhere. Normally, it's, there's no internet in the desert, but with Starlink it is, and it's faster. And you might say, is Starlink really faster? And the interesting thing, is that when Elon Musk, who started Starlink in 2019, got the permission to lower his satellite from 1,150 kilometers above Earth to just 550 kilometers above Earth, he increased speed like crazy. The latency, the difference between how long a signal needs from when it's being sent to when it's being received, dropped from 25 milliseconds to 15 milliseconds. And if you compare that with what some of the fastest professional networks used in online stock market trading, you will see that online stock market trading advertises 50 milliseconds and Elon Musk is 15. That's three times faster. He's way faster, so he outperforms everything because the connectivity is better. So speed and reach is fantastic, but that's not all. There's another very famous guy, and this guy is Tim Cook. And Tim Cook said that the handshake is very important. It's not just about how far you go, how fast you go. It's also important how well do the two ends connect. And if you look at an Apple product, for instance, I don't know if you have an iPhone, and you connect your AirPods with the iPhone, boom, it's connected, it's perfect. So those three people came up with the wisdom that speed, connectivity, and the handshakes makes you a king. All those people are ruling the world. All those people are on top of the management business line or on top of a state. All those people knew that it's all about speed, handshake, and reach. Connectivity makes you a king. So connect better and you will rule the world. Sebastian, what do you think about this? So first of all, thank you very much for your keynote, Dietmar. And, and once again, our Elon is part of my podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, but, but basically you hit a really good point. If you say like are with Starlink, are it's, it's like ultra fast. So basically a lot of business would then use like Starlink are in the internet and maybe this could be the new standard. And I ask myself like now, then maybe in the future, the whole internet is in the hand of just one guy. That's, isn't that a risk or a threat? And I just ask myself like, how in the future we can distinguish to who we trust and who we better not to trust? Um, let me restructure this question, please. I think there's like two core questions. Yeah. Number one is, uh, do you have enough reach? Do you have enough speed? And are you connected well enough? And what you need to do is you have to check those parameters if that is true for you. If you don't have that, you have to optimize it. In Canon, where we are today, there's a thing called DigiCheck, which checks if your uh, company is digitally connected enough. Are you actually up to speed? Are you up to reach? And are you up to connectivity? 
And if you're in the railroad business, you probably have to ask yourself the same thing. You don't need a diggy check, you probably need a mobility check. But are you better than, for instance, street transport? Ask yourself that, and what do you need in order to improve that? That, I think, was number one. Number two is, that is very true, are you better uh, in a way that can be trusted, or is it a little bit risky? Again, if you look at Elon Musk, like you said, we all know that sometimes he actually switched Starlink off, or there's a certain danger that that happens. So if you have centralized a centralized structure, that might happen. If you just have one person doing it, it could be a danger. But if you decentralize, it is much, much safer. And again, uh, I'm uh, a futurist, as you said, and an expert on digitalization and, and change, and I think the blockchain, for instance, is so safe because it's decentralized. Rather than having one central uh, decision maker like Elon Musk, for instance, the blockchain has a decentralized system of everybody checking, everybody knowing, everybody seeing everything to make sure that the advantages of speed, connectivity, and reach are there all the time. Because without trust, it won't work. If you cannot trust the people delivering connectivity, uh, you might as well be dead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, decentralization might have the advantages, um, but our, if I just look in our ecosystem of rail, um, we see also some disadvantages because our, it's still very difficult to cross a border with a train. Our, and if you look at construction works, you will see that the, the, the countries focus first like on their own interests and needs and not on the international corridor. So basically, is decentralization really always the right approach and the best one? The decentralization, of course, has a lot of advantages. Uh, normally, a decentralized decision is much better, but it takes a lot longer. So centralization is a lot faster. And in order to get things done, we probably need time pressure to actually act in a much more centralized way. And I think that, for instance, Brussels uh, could act in Europe as a decentralized yet centralized system that combines both advantages. So we need decentralization in terms of quality of decisions and centralization in order to get things done. We need to act. If you look at uh, Via Appia, it was built, it was done. If you look at Starlink, it was built, it was done. If you look again at the uh, Apple infrastructure, it was built, it was done. It was not just a thought, it was a centralized system with heads of state or heads of companies wanting it and giving tight deadlines. And I call those systems Hulk systems. If you look at the Hulk, <laughs> if you look at the Hulk, you will notice that the Hulk at one point stops thinking. He moves from thinking to acting quickly. The Hulk gets things done because he doesn't overthink. He might overact, but overacting is way, way better than overthinking. What do you think, Sebastian? <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least if I look to my daughter, I mean, she's constantly overacting. So she, <laughs> she's trying uh, a lot. I mean, she's learning fast, but sometimes it's also very, very painful to learn. So I just ask myself, maybe we need a kind of a balance between overacting and overthinking, right? 
Uh, I think we do. But again, if you look at your daughter, I think a kid would never contemplate, shall I go on this swing with just one leg and, I don't know, and, and only one hand. The kid tries it. The kid does it. And if you fail, you do it again. You get back on the horse. So that's an important thing that, uh, of course, acting might lead to failure, as you said, but failure leads to learning. And if you experience it, it's way better than if you just live in theory. So I think that uh, overacting is perfect and we do need more Hulk moments. And I think we had Hulk moments in history. Just look at uh, what happened to COVID. Yep. I mean, COVID, what, I think what we saw like, in COVID, I mean, like, our, for example, the e-signature or, or digital improvement, I mean, are like, like from Canon, uh, it was available before COVID, but basically just COVID with the time pressure that you literally move from one day to another uh, from the office to the home office forced companies really uh, to implement it super fast. So, uh, yeah, I would definitely agree that we need our time pressure. But there is another observation, like I just stated before, a crossing um, um, uh, with a train, uh, a border, it's quite complicated because very often we have to change the locomotive in front. And this is and was a disadvantage uh, in comparison to the road. But basically in COVID, it flipped it around. It was a big advantage because like while the borders were closed and the truck drivers were not allowed to cross the border, the trains were running because we we just switched the loco at the border. So we had like a contact free uh, handover of the wagons. So and it was suddenly a bigger disadvantage uh, advantage uh, for the for the, for the in, in the COVID time. So I think isn't timing also like a, a very important topic. Uh, absolutely. I think what changed is that the environment changed. A disadvantage in an old environment all of a sudden turned out to be an advantage in a new environment. And you have to always ask yourself, are the assets that I have today the assets that I will need tomorrow? And of course, Sebastian, I have a little presentation <laughs> for that. And here we go. <laughs> because a lot of companies say, never change a winning horse. And a lot of companies say that... Uh, the winning horse is what they have, but you have the winning horse from in a certain time, as you said. The old winning horse of crossing the border just like that was all of a sudden no longer a winning horse in COVID times. So let's look at what a winning horse actually is. What do you need in order to have a winning horse? Number one, you need to have a horse. <laughs> Without a horse, you can't, you know, you don't have the power, you don't have the muscle and the horse, in the case of most viewers and listeners, are probably their company, their product, their service, what they do. So that is your horse. That's the thing that gets the power onto, this, onto the rail and gets you moving forward. But on top of the horse is you, and you're the jockey. And what you do is that you steer the horse. And the horse and the jockey, they are one. They are a perfect team. They're actually melting together. If you look at the shape of a horse and a and the jockey together, they just look like one shape. They look like a perfect team, and they are a perfect team. Just like you and your company, you probably are a perfect team. But a perfect team is not necessarily a winning team. Because in order to win, you have to compete. And where do you compete? You compete in the environment that surrounds you. You don't compete in your own office in your all own hallway, in your own company. You compete outside in the world, in the market. If you're a horse 
and a jockey on a racetrack, that's where you compete, the racetrack. And if I keep the horse and the jockey exactly as they are, but I change the racetrack environment to an ocean, all of a sudden they are no good anymore. All of a sudden, all the good things, the ability of a horse to push against solid ground, woof, is gone because the ocean does not have solid ground. All of a sudden, all those things are gone and you have new winners, dolphins. Dolphins are nothing on land. They move really slowly, <laughs> but in the ocean, they are fantastic. And why are the dolphins good? Because they adapted to a liquid environment. The dolphins are mammals, just like the horses and just like humans are. And as you might know, the dolphins actually used to be a mammal with a hoof. And dolphins used to have before that probably things like arms. And arms are really good, but arms are good for very few big actions where you connect seldomly. Arms are good for the, uh, grabbing an apple, woof, I connect with the apple once, I take it and I eat it. And I never connect with that particular apple again. It's gone because I eat it. So uh, arms are good for big actions that don't happen very often, a limited number of connectivity. But in the dolphins, those arms transform to become flippers. And flippers are in permanent contact with the environment. Flippers perfectly measure constantly the flow of the water, the position of where they are, and they're really, really great for many, many, many small actions. So what dolphins did is that they optimized connectivity. Rather than being connected to an object once or twice every so often, they are an integrated part of it. They connect to the environment constantly, and that's why they are the new winners. They are more connected. And if you have new winners, by definition, you have new losers. And losing this battle is normally not fun. It's Quentin Tarantino style. There's a shark eating your horse, and there's blood and death everywhere. And then there are companies that look at, at the shark attacking them, the shark of change attacking the company. And they look at the half-eaten horse, and the reaction of the company is what? They look at the half-eaten horse and they say, you know what, everything is okay. We still have half the horse. And they celebrate the half-dead horse. And that is what a lot of people do, and you should not do that. Your horse is dead. Your half-eaten horse is about to die, and you need to adapt to a new environment. So that's what you need to do. <laughs> okay, Dietmar, but then uh, uh, let's flip it around. Our topic for today is because we want to survive, so it's not uh, connect <laughs> or die. Uh, I would say like connect and, and, and survive. And I think no matter um, if it's the digital modern way of working of Canon or our ecosystem of rail uh, freight or even like having colony on, on Mars, I think there is one basic principle and it's always the best connectivity will win. Absolutely, the best connectivity will win. And you said Mars, I love Mars. <laughs> you know, Elon Musk loves Mars. So uh, will there be a railroad on Mars? <laughs> yeah, uh, probably yes. I mean, like <laughs> I, I, I read even some stories that there are studies ongoing. And basically what, what is quite uh, um, fascinating to me, like on Mars, are first of all, the railway is simple, so you can repair it because it's a little bit remote to Mars. Secondly, you have less friction. I mean, we already heard it in the previous podcast that 
our rail freight or the, or the rail is so much more energy efficient, but even like on Mars, it's even more energy efficient. And basically, are, yeah, in the Mars, are, you won't spend too much time outside, so you will uh, basically spend time inside, inside cities and facilities. And that is what the rail is connecting. And yeah, let's say it, Dietmar, it's like even a universal principle are on Earth and on Mars, it's like connectivity, connectivity wins. And I think that's what we should aim for in the future. Are, yeah, and Dietmar, thank you very much for your insights and for your keynote. Uh, thank you also, Canon, uh, for, for this beautiful studio. Uh, and thank you for listening to uh, the RailUp podcast and join the RailUp club. Stay tuned and stay connected. Uh, I wish you all the best in this special time. Enjoy it. All the best, Gail Sebastian. Bye-bye. <laughs> What's the takeaway from this episode? My takeaway is that connectivity isn't new. It's what made us humans to the leading species on Earth. We were the strongest or the most intelligent, but rather the most interconnected society. The key to connectivity lies in speed, reach and trust, or as Dietmar called it, the handshake. Centralized decisions are quick, but decentralization builds trust, like in the blockchain. However, it can sometimes lead to a fragmented focus as seen in the poorly coordinated railway constructions. Surprisingly, boredom sparks creativity, but we also need moments to stop thinking and start doing, similar to how children and great leaders act. Let's join forces to fight the climate change, boost rail freight on Earth and on Mars and build connections. That's what the RailUp Club is all about. This podcast connects innovators and leaders worldwide to shape the future ecosystem of rail. RailUp by Sebastian Sperker.